Good morning! Welcome to 391 at the Retro Session. I am Juno Logan, and I'm a huge fan of video game commentary. Today's report focuses more on fan translation. Although the Western video game business flourished in the 21st century, there were many Japanese mixed media, especially in arcade game, that were not copied by developers. I am 20. So I didn't understand. I didn't know until the internet took over. But when fans realized that the modern era was disappearing, a new kind of internet culture emerged. This is a fan description. Okay, based on that, you now have an idea how just important a good translation really is. Uh, I took my script and then I ran it through many, many rounds of Google Translate to give you a taste of what video game localization sounded like in the good old days of the NES. So in good old untranslated English this time. Hello, welcome to Retro Encounter, episode 391. My name is John O'Logan and I will be your host for this deep dive into video game fan translations. Uh, though the video game industry in the West has exploded in the 21st century and simultaneous releases are commonplace, there were many Japanese video games, especially role-playing games, that never got translated at all by their developers back in the 20th. Uh, as such, we never got them here. In fact, we rarely even knew they existed until the internet started to take off. But once fans knew that they were missing out on modern classics, an entirely new type of internet culture emerged. Fan translations. Uh, so yeah, this entire episode is going to be based on fan translations and really... The real question that we're going to be taking on here, the biggest question in video game history is Bart's or butts? That is the question. <laughs> it is That is the question. Joining us on today's podcast are Audra. Hello, hello. Ben. Hi. Pete. Hello, hello. And Steph. Meow, meow. So uh, before we jump in, so the episode today is going to be entirely focused on fan translations, and we're going to talk about some of our favorite fan translations. Uh, obviously, they're going to be very RPG focused uh, for two reasons. One it's RPG fan. And two, RPGs really were the, 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 the genre that really got skipped over uh, in the 20th century. There just wasn't the fan base there to support every RPG that was released in Japan uh, until, of course, Final Fantasy VII came out and then there was a gold rush. Um, so before we jump into our favorite fan translations, I'd like each of you to tell me a little bit about your history of fan translations and when you first discovered that they were even a thing. Uh, ben, when did you first discover that fan translations existed? Yeah, so um, I first discovered fan translations when I was on um, Serenus Forest, the uh, Fire Emblem fan website when I was young, um, looking for ways to play the old Fire Emblem games that we never got here. Yeah, um, particularly, of which there is a good mine of which. Yes, about half of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that was There'll in the be more on that later. <laughs> between... Uh, when Shadow Dragon released and then when Awakening released. So it was a big, long gap where we weren't getting games. And uh, that's, you know, there's a lot of the fan translation projects for Fire Emblem specifically were coordinated on that website. So um, that's kind of how I became familiar with them. And then from that, I kind of branched out to other GBA translations and then other games. Um, Can after. a few of us vouch to having played a few of these Fire Emblem ones? <laughs> of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I right? at least one. Yeah. At least one, as we'll talk about later. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's neat. Uh, so obviously Fire Emblem is probably going to be a bit of a gateway. Uh, Audra, how about you? Um, I don't have a lot of experience with fan translations. I knew of them, but I didn't really play any until the PSP era, pretty much. Mm -hmm. And that was mainly because there were quite a few decent RPGs that just got overlooked over here. So mm -hmm. I... And I like the PlayStation version of games too, like Suko Gaiden. I've always wanted to try playing those, and I knew I had to get a fan translation eventually of those. Did you play that mm -hmm. one? I haven't yet. I haven't, oh, though. I think they did uh, do it, though, right? They yeah. did, yeah. The yeah. translation's actually not bad. They originally released one that was like 
not very good, but they went back and edited it and it's pretty good now. Oh, that's awesome. awesome. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Pete, how about you? I think the first, it's hard for me to remember which one was the first one I came across. I was not involved in the forums and stuff with that had to do with translations. Um, I think it was after definitely certainly acquiring a perfectly legal copy copy of front mission for the super Famicom Mm-hmm. that i well, what other what other copy could you possibly get n- uh, none whatsoever but there was a handy legal backup that had been fan translated and i played that and really enjoyed that it's I, it's between front mission suikoden 3 second and scissor 3 sorry so what am i saying mm-hmm. second and scissor 3 and um bahamut lagoon mm-hmm. and i adore those one. three games yeah and uh yeah after legitimately acquiring copies of every one of those, I <laughs> was able to enjoy them in my I native have no tongue. sarcasm detector. I can't tell if you're actually being it or not. But for the sake of this, I will say, yes, you mean it. I oh, think I mean he does. It. I think he entirely means it. How about you, Steph? Love it. Uh, honestly, I don't even know. My brother was kind of like the gamer in the house and it just kind of passed on to me. So I was playing Final Fantasy V translated. I remember just seeing it one day mm-hmm. it was like hey do you want to see final fantasy 5 i was like really it's out <laughs> you know i was like a little girl at the time right and he's showing me this thing and i'm just so astounded that it exists and it was actually really cool yeah it was very cool in fact that was my gateway into fan translations my i'm old and uh my i you know heard of final fantasy 5 and i was driven crazy that i was playing final fantasy 6 and final fantasy 5 was unavailable to me uh and then i discovered emulation and discovered fan translations and at this point i think it was legal playing... backups completely yeah, legitimate legal... backups yes mike's I think gonna be playing... mad at you for talking about emulation probably uh <laughs> ZSNES was the uh emulator i was using and at that point in time emulation was emulation was so basic they didn't even have transparency uh figured out yet so i was playing final fantasy 5 and they didn't have any transparency in the ship level uh, in the, oh, I remember in the that. Ship. So I, I think I've told this story before. I couldn't figure, I couldn't play it because I didn't know how to turn off layers at that yeah. point. So I was just like trying to figure out my way around the ships uh, that were completely covered in non-transparent water for like F four, baby. F four. <laughs> you got to turn, turn off layer three. F four. That's how I got through Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. And eventually, <laughs> eventually, I was like, oh. But I got through the whole thing without it, which just makes me proud. Although I oh, hate that level yeah. in the future. I just have like PTSD whenever I play Final <laughs> Fantasy Five and that stupid water uh, level. I'm like, ooh. There's so many stupid like secret passageway areas in Final Fantasy Four, especially where it's like little hidden vents that you could never see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I'm having a few. I literally replayed four for that reason. I wanted to find the secrets. Well, let's uh, let's actually talk about some of our favorite fan translations. So Steph, we're going to start with you. Uh, what game are you going to be talking about this evening? Uh, an oldie but a goodie. Uh, talking about Tales of Fantasia, the very first Tales game. <laughs> Do you mind if I give a little bit of history about it? Would you? I would. <laughs> Um, so this was developed by Wolf Team uh, and, and published by Namco. It was originally released for the Super Famicom in Japan in December 1995. As you said, it was the first tale. Uh, it was the first title in the Tales series. It was groundbreaking uh, at its yeah. time. Its <laughs> yeah. graphics pushed the Super Famicom to its very limits. They're still uh, so cozy. To a look fully at vocal today. introduction song. Oh, and it's like so crunchy and gross sounding, but they did it. You oh know? yeah, it it was amazing. There was a theme song. Uh, the game was actually a massive hit in Japan. It uh, sold 1.3 million units, uh, but again, Did it was it really? never wow. released in the West. And why is that? Well, there are a lot of reasons. But eventually, we got a fan translation. Uh, Steph, why don't you tell us a little bit about the fan translation? Hold on, for isn't it. isn't the wasn't it translated by D Slur? We're not supposed to say 
Yeah. I think so, yes. Okay. Yeah. That's what uh, I so yeah, there is yeah, three kind of distinct versions uh kind of worth talking about. I have they actually like done a proper SNES translation of the game or I think all of the efforts just kind of switched over to the PlayStation. I mean, there is a as, like, there is a, a SNES. Version. There isn't I I played it on the SNES. I played the the uh fan translation on the SNES. Yeah, was it the the D, the DJAP one? Sorry. Yeah. It just, oh. it, it's fine. It's not a slur because it's it's the name of the thing. Although Unfortunately, it's, the name. In, it's in poor taste in today's Sorry, modern guys. context. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the game has received, uh, I think at this point, several official localizations. Yeah. But this was the first time we could play it in English. Yeah, so uh, the, the first one on the SNES was kind of infamous. Um, it, it really depends on what kind of like player you are. Some people like their translations a bit more literal. This one admittedly punched up a very, very dry script, a very vanilla script. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to the extent that, you know, some people might find it a little Nothing bit too much and this. a little bit overbearing. Um, so, yeah, there, this is the one where the infamous uh, Archie, you know, Just say it. bangs like a tiger. That's yep. not it. Say it. <laughs> so, you know, when the question comes up, when you have two lady party members, you know, and your buddy's like, hey, we got two girls around. Which one do you like better? You know, and you know, it's like, oh, I don't know. You know, it's like, hey, well, Mint looks nice, but, you know, Archie looks like she fucks <laughs> like a tiger. <laughs> <laughs> isn't there also a scene all, soon after where she's in her she's like asleep yeah, and she's yeah. dreaming about him yeah yeah she's dreaming about sexy times with class um, and then she has a flat very orgasm. classy yeah it's, it's very um, something about mary or whatever mm-hmm. very much yeah so there's like a few like kind of really racy jokes kind of scattered in there and like i said it punches up pretty dry script uh, but I know, like, it's not really everybody's speed, and it's kind of aged a little bit. Like, it's a little bit juvenile, I guess, or maybe the older you get. And it's funny when we were younger and, you know, just willing to take these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, they did a good job, though. Like, they even changed, like, a lot of the graphics, the script graphics, too. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's actually a pretty, pretty impressive uh, effort for, for when it was. It's mind-blowing for its time. Actually, there is a yeah. fascinating article uh, by uh, Clyde Mandolin. I think that's it. Madel- Mandolin? Yeah, I think yeah. that's it. That's was he name. the one who was, – was he on that? Uh, no, but I do know that he – I mean, we're going to be talking about him a bit later. Okay. Uh, but he is a uh, – he has a series of books now called uh, Legends of Localization. He has a website and he has Fantastic an article. Stuff, yeah. he, has, he has an article focused entirely on the f- – like a tiger scene and the various versions of it in uh, and various translations. Oh, I got to read that. I had no idea. It's really cool. Work. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Um. I think I'll try to include a, I'll, yeah, I'll include a, a note in the show notes about it. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, this was the first time I played Tales of Fantan- uh, Tales of Fantasia with this with this fan translation. Yeah, and I got to be honest, I really liked it. Like, yeah, it was it was obviously very racy in places, and obviously had the uh, imprint of the uh, translators. They really put their stamp on this. But yeah. <laughs> also, you kind of have to remember that. SNES RPGs, when we look at them through, you know, the nostalgia lens, they were pretty dry translations, really. Like yeah. Final Fantasy, the Final Fantasy games, I love them, but the translations, uh, was, this, was it Ted Woolsey? Ted Woolsey. Woolsey yeah, yeah he, it doesn't like, flow good. No, it doesn't. It's fine. It works. But there wasn't a ton of personality in it, whereas no, this yeah. particular translation had more personality in it than I think the SNES could handle. That's why you had to play <laughs> it on an emulator, because the SNES could not handle fuck- <laughs> like a tiger <laughs> <laughs> you're all over this one <laughs> 
Um, okay, so, but then it gets a little bit more interesting because, like, obviously, we were denied the very, very beautiful looking PlayStation 1 version of Tales of Fantasia, and we got mm-hmm. the very, very crappy Game Boy Advance version, uh, which, speaking of localization, the official one we got officially translated Ragnarok as the word kangaroo mm-hmm. somehow. Um, so <laughs> we were stuck with that. The <laughs> graphics were bad. The sound was bad. And that's what we had. Meanwhile, the P- uh, PS1, you know, uh, was a big remake of that game. And it was only a few years later, but they included like a beautiful opening theme. <laughs> you know, it, it sounds nice now. It's an actual recording um, and not crunched for the SNES. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the Tales famous skits are in this one. So the characters kind of have a bit more banter between each other, you know, and there's a lot more. Uh, I think it's like they even have the grade thing already and a bit more of the uh, staples that Tales series is known for. And we never got it. And it's actually very, very pretty. It's basically looks like Tales of Destiny, but I think even slightly better because it came out a little bit after. Anyways, we never got it. And mm-hmm. we have two very interesting uh, fan translations of this one. And this is perfect because it's for, dis- you know, both your types of fan translation players. So we have the Gemini one by Absolute Zero, which is a more literal and straight translation. So it's a little bit more flowery. It's a bit more literal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, of course, the Fantasian Pro- Productions one, which I swear to God took like 10 years to do, but the, the Mad Lads finally did it. Um, and it's got more flavor text. And the point was that it was actually supposed to be a bit more like a Namco Bandai uh, or Bandai Namco, whatever, uh, translation at the time. Mm-hmm. So it is a little bit more punchier and a little bit, you know, kind of silly at times. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like even the small things where it's like the Gemini one will be like, let's go. Whereas Fantasia will be like, let's go, dude. <laughs> you know, or like, you know, instead of, you know, Gemini will go, don't worry. And Fantasia will be like, nah, it's okay. <laughs> you know, so there's a bit more personality in that one that I think, again, it might depend on the kind of player you are. If you want more of the literal and more perfect experience, go with the absolute zero one. Mm-hmm. If you want the flavor text, go with Fantasian. Uh, they're both pretty easy to find on respectable back channels. <laughs> I don't know. Holy legal um, back channels. Uh, and like I said, both of these efforts are honestly just leagues better than the GBA one and are absolutely still worth pursuing today. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. There's actually a visit video on YouTube if you kind of want to see these distinct differences by Wizardman, who plays both the game versions side by side, just so you can see those kind of you know discrepancies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for my money, I'm, I'm more the Fantasian type. I like that kind of punchier dialogue can i say that i'm actually a little bit surprised that there no one has created a very very a meme for a very specific audience of a poster of the 2017 superhero epic thor kangaroo (laughs) yeah what's up with that man how long were you sitting on that after i said it you're just (laughs) almost five minutes (laughs) with your eyes just twinkling just ready to say it when i stopped i really really wanted to say thor kangaroo just gritting your teeth (laughs) oh this is gonna be great (laughs) It was pretty good. There's a Uh, a kangaroo over there. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Tales of Fantasia, by it's a fascinating game for a number of reasons. First off, it's a pretty damn good RPG. It is. Yeah. Like, it's so classic. It's got Street Fighter controls in it. I love that. I know. The the combat system was completely original. It, like, had fighting game type controls in it. It's like the cozy fantasy sprite RPG of your dreams, and it still holds up nicely for that. And one of the weirdest things about it, which is, again, something that I think we're going to be talking about a little bit later, it has a lot of, it has a very interesting development cycle, which actually resulted in a completely unrelated game that everyone thinks is a sequel. At least at the time, everyone thought was a sequel. There's so much alike. Like, I love the shared DNA between them. Like, you could just tell they're kind of long-lost siblings. Yeah, it's, uh, they are long-lost siblings that have been fighting for many, many years. (laughs) Um, 
an epic an epic story uh is involved in the uh development of tales of fantasia uh a game series that is known for their epic stories is suikoden uh now obviously here in the west we have gotten many of the suikoden games and we've gotten the first one obviously the second one i mean it it I actually don't know if Zach would be on RPG Fan or remember if Suikoden 2 never got released. That's such an important game to him um, and his like his uh, his love of RPGs. Now, there were a few Suikoden titles which we never ended up getting, and one of them is Suikoden Woven Web of the Centuries, which was uh, released for the PSP in 2012. Uh, Audra, this is your choice for fan translation. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? Please educate me. I've never heard of this. Yeah, I really want to know about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's actually, it's kind of a spinoff of Suik- the regular main series, Suikoden, cent- um, centered around the Infinity concept, which they introduce in, I think, the main installments. And then it kind of carries over into Tyrecris as like this alternate realities. Oh. And so Suikoden, Woven Web of the Centuries, kind of takes that. And it's another alternate reality where... The 108 stars of destiny are scattered throughout fragments of time and they have to connect to each other using trees that they plant. It's a really interesting concept. It's probably arguably not the strongest Suikoden title, but it's interesting because it's the last one that they- The last one we got, dang it. (laughs) Yeah. The last one we got, dang it. (laughs) And and it's um, actually a really decent- PSP RPG, I found. Mm-hmm. I reviewed it for the site, and I really ended up liking a lot of what they did, even though they kind of condensed some of the Suikoden-ness of it. Yeah, you uh, reviewed it back in 2022. Uh, we have a few mm-hmm. fan translation uh, fan translations on the site, uh, reviews of fan translations. And it, it's a little bit tricky to review a fan translation because obviously it, it's a review, but we can't really... We don't really want to score the story because it's not the developer's mm-hmm. original work but we can you know still score the overall experience you gave it an 81 you really liked it yeah i did it was yeah. i thought it was really suikoden is always such a fun experience there's always mm-hmm. so much to yeah. go in on even the worst suikoden is usually going to be a good experience. does it have like a lot of the staples like can you get like a chef can you get like the drama guys yes you can get multiple chefs actually Ooh. Yeah, multiple, multiple. chefs. So, so it has like it has like a home base building thing. Then same mm-hmm. as the other ones. Okay. Yeah, there's a home base, and there's actually different time periods. So you have like oh, you learn from the older stars of destinies various moves that then carry over into your other characters. That's actually pretty cool. Wow, mm-hmm. cool. The do they do good? a lot with that? Yeah, do they do a lot with it? The combat was pretty interesting. I actually found it more interesting than some of the Suikoden game. Other oh. game. Well, We're just interrogating like, Hydra now. <laughs> Tell us about it. Like, Let me shine this light music. lamp in your face. I kind of thought Tire Chris is more just kind of regular turn-based. And this one, it actually, with the learning system, it was kind of an interesting... It was an interesting gimmick that I think. I know, I know it's pronounced Tire Quest. Whenever I hear it, though, I hear Tire Quest. Like, <laughs> so we get an entire quest. Like, we're yeah. talking. Actually, you know what? That would be a really good transition into Ben's game. Um, <laughs> maybe he'll do that next. Um, tire yeah. Quest. You know, um, the uh, the the TurboGrafx 16 also had a uh, Final Lap Twin, a Formula One racing RPG. There's lots of Tire Quests out there. Tire what? Quest. This is a thing. 
I'll tell oh, you yeah, about I'm, it later. There I'm was, a, there was an official right now for uh, that's what I'm talking about, RPGs. Ben. Yeah. So. Yes. <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah, there was an official translation of that one, so it's not relevant to this discussion. Yeah. I'm also not even going to begin to try to... Oh, th- I, I realize this is an episode about fan translations, and in that spirit, we're going to be saying the English translation of the titles, because I'm looking at the Japanese version of this game title, and I am Genso Suikoden, uh, I'm not even going to try. <laughs> yeah, it's like Sumu Gurashi... No, I can't. no Toki? lengthy one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's going to be... I have an odd feeling of slowly listening to this right now that like literally just made him cringe with every single syllable. <laughs> He's going to record over it. <laughs> um, but it's it's fascinating. So this is... Uh, let's see here. You, you, it's a Twisted Phoenix game translation mm-hmm. uh, Was were the translators for this. And they actually do a really good job of like supplying... like They provided a lot of information on how to actually access it and to do it kind of legally, like getting import copies and... Mm-hmm. I thought it was an interesting approach. It was my first time actually getting a fan translation, so I kind of liked it. Yeah, that's an important distinction between fan translations for the SNES and more modern fan translations is there are actual ways to get your hands on these games nowadays. Um, And if you can get your hands on these games, there usually is some pretty detailed instructions on how to use the fan translation for that game uh, rather than going through more under under the table means perfectly i don't know what you're talking about (laughs) nobody does i mean Um, you just delete it after 24 hours and you're good yeah that's that's right oh that that was that was poetry i love the word hyakunen i don't know it's just one of those words that sticks in my thorny side i guess i don't know <laughs> just sounds cool to me yeah, no thorns no thorns stick wow. in your side your side is the thorny part got it mm-hmm. it's just <laughs> this game just looks really really cool i mean first off it's a psp game so the graphics are considerably yeah. more advanced it, it's it's the most modern of the game any of the games that we're going to be talking about today there are anime cutscenes, which mm-hmm. is again something that you know, most of the games that we're talking about don't have because most of them are on. I love uh, that they do timing for like subtitles in these things too. Like oh, the yeah. efforts to like subtitle uh, Japanese only games is actually really nice. That's really complicated few. work. Good for yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the opening theme. Oh, when do they not nail it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure okay, yeah. how much of this, you know, we already know or audience knows, but it's a considerable technical endeavor to do these translations, you know? Oh my God, yeah. It's not just yeah. a copy and paste of the text. It's, or, you know, localizing it and the linguistic effort that goes into that. It's, I mean, in many, in many cases, I know, um, I mean, in, in the case of all these games, pretty much, you know, I remember stories about Bahamut Lagoon and how much, of the actual game code had to be changed and how long it took. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a labor of love. They're unpaid. It's like crazy how much of this there is when so much of this is literally just unpaid fans doing this, you know, to some of them to improve their own like portfolio and become actual translators. Many yeah. do. And but it's such like, great work. So much. Yeah. Oh, like I, I say this with absolute love, but like yeah. the internet is batshit insane. Yeah. <laughs> like fan yes. culture is nuts. And thank God in many cases it's nuts. Not in every case, but in many cases it's it, it great. To me, so when you're talking about like a, a, a disc-based game, like a game that's so huge, like from an optical disc, it, for me it makes more sense when you're talking about um, you know modifying the game code of a cartridge. But when you're talking about doing it on a disc and how much data there is to dive into and fiddle mm-hmm. with, that, that seems like completely magical to me. I'm sure... 
I mean, obviously it's not magical. They got their ways, they have techniques, they're smart, all that stuff. It's really, mm -hmm. really great. Well, what's interesting to me is that many of the games that we're talking about today, like well, most of the Super Nintendo games, for example, probably the PSX games as well, um, and I have no way of knowing this, but like they were designed by <laughs> Japanese developers who were sort of making them for the Japanese market. Like, especially in the 20th century, uh, localization to the West was in many cases for these RPGs an afterthought. Uh, it wasn't considered to be the most uh, valuable market for these games. No, so right? yeah, there's a very good reason why a lot of these games are not were not easy to localize. It's not just because they were uh, fans or amateurs. It's because the games were not user designed with user friendliness for localization in mind. I have an odd suspicion that nowadays when a game is made, there are probably the tools. It, it's much easier to localize a game because the tools are going to be built right into the system. Uh, but back then, oh God, no. Yeah. You see in a lot of uh, even English games that they use the sort of like uh, Japanese quotation mark thing, that kind of bracket thingy, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, just because, um, yeah, like I think they just use the same typeset as the Japanese characters. Yeah, changing the font is not true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they just kind of go and stick with the with the Japanese one that has English characters or stuff like that. Like, yeah, there's a lot of even like official localizations famously that were stymied by those technical limitations yeah. like... Uh, Muramasa the Demon Blade is a good example. So on Wii, um, when they officially really? localized it, there were text limits based on Japanese oh. characters. And so they could only fit like a few lines of dialogue in the dialogue boxes. Um, oh, and so it, it wasn't until the Vita remake where they actually, um, VanillaWare went back and, and allowed for there to be larger amounts of text and put into the boxes. So the translation in the remake is much better than the initial Wii translation for that reason. It's also a word economy thing. Like, isn't Japanese just better for word economy? You could fit yeah. more mm -hmm. letters. Definitely. So yeah. like now you also have them <laughs> to like localize what, you know, get the script accurate, put it in, you know, a way that's understandable in English and then like make sure it fits inside of the dialogue cut box. half of it out probably mm, Holy yeah, probably <laughs> well i mean that's the, in, in many cases they had to do that anyway even in japanese yeah. the scripts for these games were so massive in their original forms that the version oh. that we get in the video game is considerably scaled back from the original and i part, never think about that enough yeah and pardon me for like backtracking a bit but i mean a major reason why uh tales of fantasia never came out was uh, in the u.s was it was very very late but it was also oh, yeah. a huge cartridge. I think it's mm -hmm. the biggest cartridge for the Super Famicom. And that was very, very, very expensive. And so when you're talking about how much text you're putting into these things, that's more bits. That's a bigger cartridge. That's more money on the front end you got to pay for. Mm -hmm. I'm still losing my mind that the game sold uh, like a million SNES copies. I don't really know how much games sold back then, but that does seem like a lot. Especially a lot. just in Japan. Yeah. Right? That's a yeah. lot. I'll bet you Tales of Fantasia, if it released in the West, would have been a $100 game. I bet it would have been. And I bet because of that, With it the would giant be, earthbound box. Like, <laughs> I don't even want to imagine how much an original in that alternate reality where it got released on the West. Can you imagine how much a copy of it would sell on eBay? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. It'd be up there. I think Gross. it'd be up in the ranks. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, well, another, I mean, first off, Tales and Suikoden are both long running series. I wasn't surprised that Tales didn't get a translation because obviously it was the first one. Uh, Suikoden, a little bit more surprised, but you know, yeah. it also had to do with the, the PSP, the PSP, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was probably a lot of the platformer, uh, the platform it was on, um, a very popular, uh, a very popular series that would released on what was considered to be the most popular platform of its time, uh, is, uh, okay. I am going to murder this. Gakuten Saiben. 
So that is Ace Attorney, the Ace Attorney series. Uh, we got, obviously, Ace Attorney 1, 2, and 3 was released on the Game Boy Advanced. We never got any of those. When the DS came out, they made DS ports. We got those. And that started this series. And there was a spinoff to this series, and we got it. It was Ace Attorney's Investigation, Miles Edgeworth, focused on the prosecutor, the, the fan-favorite prosecutor, uh, everyone's favorite character. Uh, and it was, as I understand it, well-received by fans and not a lot of other people. It did not sell particularly well. Oh, really? It sold fine. Oh, yeah. Ace Attorney, Ace Attorney uh, is a very static screen. So you kind of investigate using the uh, stylus on the screen. Uh, in Ace Attorney Investigations, it's much more like a classic LucasArts point-and-click adventure game where you can actually move Miles Edgeworth around the screen exploring environments. I'm an idiot. I don't know why I didn't make that connection when I was playing it. It's a point-and-click. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a solid point-and-click adventure game. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, it follows many of the same conventions of the Ace Attorney series, except for the fact that there is, with some exceptions, no real courtroom drama. Everything takes place in the investigation. Miles still works as a lead so well. Oh, he does. He really God. does. I mean, in the game, it focuses on Miles Edgeworth worth uh dick gumshoe his his uh <laughs> detective partner is in there uh he has his own assistant who is uh the great thief Kay faraday uh great very much a, a maya type character um who argues about the uh, whether or not something is a stepladder because that's of course um it was a you know there were five cases it was a great game and then it had a sequel and we never got it so gacton uh, gacton kenji 2 which is now translated uh in the fan translation as the prosecutor's path is a direct sequel to the first one. Uh, features the exact same characters. It continues the exact, uh, this, the same large narrative. It sort of almost picks up right after where the first one uh, went off. And, you know, it just continues the exact same thing. You know, you, you collect evidence, you interrogate witnesses, you investigate the crime scenes in a point-and-click adventure game format. Uh, and uh, we never got it. It just was never released here. But thankfully, fan translations. The fans were on that, like, the day zero that game came out. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> They're one of those that's nuts about it, like some of the Falcom people are now. It's kind of cool. Yeah, it was fairly <laughs> obvious that this thing was not going to be getting a localization anytime soon. So yeah. uh, a user, a GPA temp user by the name of Oren, uh, released the first English translation patch in September uh in September of 2013, which only covered the first two cases. And then over the years, more cases were released. And finally, uh, by June 14th, 2014, uh, a full patch with all of the cases translated was released. I played that one. It was great. It was really, really good. It was, they were emulating the Capcom translated style. They did not put their own stamp on it. They really tried to keep it true to the cool. original. So they had some really great pun names in there as Ace Attorney is wont to have. I like that they have ethics about them, a lot of these teams. Yeah, they're, they're really trying their best to be true to the game. Yeah. And in this particular case, I think they were. Uh, they really, really did a good job of this. Um, and to this day, now, following this, there were two other Ace Attorney games that, were never tra that weren't translated. They were the, the great Ace Attorney games, the spinoffs that took place in the very early 20th century. Um, we actually, I, one of, I have a review on the site uh, for the first one, I ended up because I am very moral. I actually bought the cartridge from Japan. Good uh, for you. <laughs> yeah, I bought the cartridge from Japan. No doubt. At, of course you did. Why wouldn't you? 
We always I, I do. I actually, I really like having it on my shelf. Um, Good. Yeah, <laughs> really yep. cool. yeah. Yeah. And it was a great translation. And then, of course, it was made moot by the fact that Capcom did their own translation of The Great Ace Attorney and its sequel, uh, which were excellent translations. I have Bravely Default in Japanese. It just sits there. I'm just yeah, like, it's great. Yep. It's, it's nice. You're just Looks like, good. I'm a, I'm a, I'm an RPG fan because those I have the, a Japanese <laughs> game on my shelf. Were those the yep. Ace Attorney games that uh, came out for 3DS too? Yes, they were. Okay. Yeah. Yes, they were. But now they're out on Switch, of course. So to this day, uh, Ace Attorney Investigations 2, Prosecutor's Path, is the only Ace Attorney game that is not available in English. Um, they released a – the, the first one has a uh, iOS port. Uh, you can play it. It has like upgraded, you know, detailed backgrounds with sp- with sprite based animation, which looks a little weird, but still it looks okay. But no, they have not released this. Um, they're going to at some point. They've got to. Capcom. I think so. Yeah, they've been on fire for bringing all their stuff kind of back, especially for their series. It's whatever you know. They've done the whole series. They're going to do this one at one point. Yeah, it's just sitting in the vault, and yeah. it's done. <laughs> And yeah. they probably, they probably, I, there's no way of knowing this for certain, but I would put money. They probably have a, a, a mostly done localization sitting in a drawer somewhere. Right. And they just, they just didn't at the time, especially they just didn't see the point of, uh, of releasing it. Now yeah. I can't be sure about that, but I'm betting it's true. So at some point, yeah, they'll release it. I have faith in it. That's one of the ones I have faith in. Well, they keep releasing the packs, right? Like, yeah. they, like now they have the the uh, the remasters of Apollo, Apollo. Justice's story, um, and they already have the Great Ace Attorney. So the only thing they have left is Miles Edgeworth, and they're uh, running out. They're running out. They gotta <laughs> gotta give us some more Ace Attorney games, Capcom, because you're really running running behind there. Anyway, my point is, it's a really, really good fan translation. It feels like an Ace Attorney game. There are the puns of names. You have That's the great. everything is in there. Some of the logic is a little bit weird. Like Capcom, even Capcom kind of sucks sometimes at, uh, yeah. at at making sense of the using this piece of evidence at this particular time. Uh, so there are a few places where it's a little bit, yeah, but I can't really blame them because that's a problem with the game design, not a part of, not a problem with the localization. Um, so yeah, if you are looking for a new Ace Attorney game, if you've played them all and you haven't played this, I think this is worth a play. And this localization is solid. Aren't most of Ace Attorney's uh, kind of legal defense methods a little bit suspect anyway. So. Always. What, the yes, whole I game su- is about perjury, So if he's basically. messing with logic or, you know, using his charm to convince a jury or whatever, yeah. that whatever his twisted up logic is, is logical, then that seems on uh, on brand for the man. <laughs> it is. It, it uh, very much is. I have a feeling that I can see. I can totally see if... The you just Western broke Jono's mind. <laughs> the Western version of Miles Edgeworth, I can totally see him downloading a fan translation ROM of a Steel Samurai RPG. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, moving away with that really, really heavy in-joke, uh, I'm going to move on to our next, uh, our next fan translation, which is Ben. So Ben, you are going to be doing uh, a game that up until you brought it up, I had never heard of before. It's called Racing Lagoon, or other, aka Tire Quest, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, so this is a, believe it or not, it is a Square RPG uh, for the PlayStation. Uh, it was obviously never released here in the West. Um, do you mind if I just go through a little bit of history, Ben? No, please go ahead. Okay, so uh, super, super unique game because it blended uh, street racing with role-playing elements. It's set in uh, 1999, Yokohama, Japan. Uh, it was influenced by illegal street racing culture in, in Japan in the 1980s. 
despite being a Japanese exclusive, it managed to sell over uh, 140,000 copies. So we're not getting to Tales of Fantasia levels, but what not is up terribly with that? bad. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, Tales of Fantasia. There's a reason why the Tales series is still going, and I have an odd feeling that those sale right. numbers off the top is one of the reasons. Um, and the game was just never released in the West for a lot of reasons, one of which being it's about Japanese street racing culture, which... I guess at the Yo, time, don't no at me. About. Tokyo Drift is the best Fast and Furious <laughs> movie. Yeah, but Tokyo Drift <laughs> was released it. a little bit after I 1999. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like 2004 or six or one of those dumb years. <laughs> um. Anyway, uh, yeah. So it got an English fan translation. In uh, this is a this is probably our. I think it's our newest fan translation. It was released. <laughs> I have to in- look this up. I'm just looking up Tire Quest. What's it actually called? <laughs> Uh, Racing Lagoon. Racing, Racing Lagoon. Lagoon. I need, is it like Bahamut Lagoon? But like, are they being cheeky like oh, there's, that? There's relation. There's oh relation. Oh my god! No, there is not. <laughs> yes, what? There is. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, so that looks is, really no. cool. Yeah, that is really cool. So, mm-hmm. a, a fan translation was released in November of 2021. Uh, ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about this game and fan translation? Yeah. So, uh, Racing Lagoon. It was produced by uh, Akitoshi Kawazu of uh, Saga fame. Um, and, uh, it was the, uh, one of the earliest games written by, uh, Matomu Toriyama, um, of Final Fantasy 13 and Bahamut Lagoon fame. Um, <laughs> and then it was also the first collaboration between, uh, Nori, uh, Noriko Matsueda and Takahiro, um, Iguchi, who are known for collaborating on the soundtrack for Final Fantasy X-2. So um, it's what? a lot of firsts for uh, Square at the time. This is a big one. Wow. Yeah. This is a big one, for, especially for a game that was never released. Yeah, yes. This game is yes. beautiful, too. Like, I'm just checking out a GIF of it right now. That it looks end. awesome. <laughs> yeah. so I've, I've seen looking. this before. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. The way they captured, like, the nighttime city is actually very cool. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of shots of, like, the, the PS1 polygon, like, cityscapes. Um, very similar to what you would get in, like, Parasite Eve of New York City or in Front Mission. Um, which is a more fictionalized um, Mm. modern setting. Um, But this is particularly in Yokohama and Japan. So it's kind of cool to see Square like recreate, um, you know, a modern Japanese city in one of their um, PlayStation one games. Um, But it's got a bit of that Ridge Racer 4 aesthetic, that kind of like flat coloring for some of it. It's really cool for the UI. Yes. And the uh, honestly, I mean, Ridge Racer 4 is a great comparison because the soundtrack is kind of a jazz techno fusion, which is very similar to what you would get for uh, Ridge Racer Type 4 soundtrack. Um, And the driving mechanics are pretty similar. Um, You know, there's not the same like drift mechanics that there are in Ridge Racer, but the basic controls are are pretty similar. It's in that kind of same. I was hoping and praying that there was a, a drift stat you could grind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so there is, i mean there is drifting is part of the driving um you know it's definitely a game that's heavily influenced by some of the 80s um street racing manga so things like uh wangan midnight or initial d um if people are familiar with those series sure. um, oh yeah yeah initial d so, at least yeah so those are huge influences on this game actually the car you start with is very similar to the car um, from Initial D, that white um, sedan <laughs> the, with the kind of boxy frame. I like forget the model, Camry but... or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and you know, it's it's you have your um, story segments which play out kind of visual novel esque, though with some FMV in there. And usually, like these, the character models are very interesting. They have very broad shoulders. They almost look like action figures, kind of. 
Um, and it's like a bit of that vagrant story kind of like where they yeah. zoom in on it. Pretty all right with it. Like they don't mind showing it up close at all. Yeah, oh, pre, pre-rendered so models and they're like very exaggerated um, uh, kind of like features and, and um, proportions and stuff. Okay, and, uh, I haven't seen this part. I haven't seen the models or like the CG, like the FMV part yet. Do you know about Interstate 76, Ben? Um, yeah, that's isn't that the the highway system that the people race on? Basically, no, 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 no. Interstate oh, seventy six okay. was an Activision muscle car with guns oh. on them simulator <laughs> based on the Mech Warrior two engine. Oh, okay. And it came out in the late in the mid nineties. And the cutscenes, it's all it's, it takes place in nineteen seventy six, and it's all funky and whatever. And the cutscenes are all the the CGI, but they're extremely blocky models. On They're purpose. like tech old school blocky. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they look incredible. It completely works. Am I getting somewhere close to this with this one? Or like, is it kind um, of like stylized in a similar way? Or It's no, more Square Enix looking. Yeah, definitely more Square. Okay, yeah. so very, ref- so still refined, I'm guessing. Now I'm going to yeah. look at it. In anime-esque. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please you take a look. look up some screenshots, yeah. yeah this um, is so cool looking. This is blowing my mind, by the way. This has been a great... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's super cool. I mean, the you know, you have your like map and you kind of have like a top-down perspective and you drive your car on the streets. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit isometric, so not exactly, but a little bit like like a GTA, like the early GTAs kind of is how it looks like. And then um while you're driving, you know, from story point to story point, um you can also get into like random battles where someone will drive their car up to you and then you get into a race. <laughs> and so then it switches to the 3D you know, po- political racing mode. Um, that is have to... the greatest like mechanic ever. <laughs> that's so cool. Holy smokes, that's so cool. I'm yeah, and when weird. you race people, um, if you win, then you get to take one of their parts. And if they beat you, then they get to take one of your parts. Oh, um, that's so cool. This is yeah. basically like World Ends of, with You, but like, you know, kind of the street racing version. But they adapted those kind of RPG mechanics really in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, by yeah. the way, I'm looking at the characters and they look great. It's so extremely cool Japan. Right? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> very much so. Well, I don't know what's yeah. weird here. It's okay. First off, I'm actually out of all of the games that we're talking about today. I'm actually most surprised that this didn't get uh translated and localized for the western market because this was very much during the period where square was throwing Mm -hmm. as much at the wall as possible to see what (laughs) sticked in the west like if you look at some of their output for the playstation it's freaking nuts i was gonna say just racers back then were big too so yeah plus over here that was about the like the beginning of the maybe not quite the apex but we're getting close to the apex of like tuner culture in the u.s Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, that was huge I'm looking at some of the games that they released in the West, like Tobal Number One and uh, Bushido Blade, and but not Tobal Two, <laughs> Parasite Eve, and like tons and tons of games that are just like random things. After the success of Final Fantasy VII, they were like, "Well, I guess we see what else works." But a lot of them are published by Square, but they weren't developed by Square. This was developed by Square, mm-hmm. so it's a SquareSoft developed and published game. That seems like it would have had some crossover uh, appeal in the West, and it had it just wasn't wasn't released. So, does everyone do people have this memory with me? Like, I remember seeing this game literally just in a small little screenshot of an EGM magazine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, just in the tiny tucked away corner of like stuff that Japan has being made. But you mm-hmm. know, I don't. I don't know if it's coming here, and lo and behold, it wasn't. But yeah, I just remember seeing it just that little bit, just the way the characters look is so familiar. Yeah, the only reason I can think that this wasn't released is because it was released in 1999, and the PlayStation oh. 2 came out the following year. 
So it might yeah. have been. It well, may it gets have cut been, off at that point. It, 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 it may have been a Tales of Fantasia lot. situation. Yeah. yeah, it has a lot of text too. So Second that's the other three. thing is mm. that you wouldn't expect really from a from a racing game, but there is a ton of text in the game, and it's you know so you both you have your story scenes, but there are also um, scenes where like the races are being recapped, or you're like watching a replay, and then the main character has like an internal mo- monologue oh where he's kind gosh. of like describing the the feeling and the almost it's very novelistic in the way that Get out. he describes I'm like at the overworld where you're just driving around going to like a hospital yeah. <laughs> and it's almost like old school like GTA where it's like you know mm-hmm. just that kind of very far away perspective like that you know mm-hmm. oh my yeah. god this is absolutely crazy so Please, this, people, this man monologues Lagoon. over a recap of his race Yes, yes. And it's um, so beautiful. It, it, yeah. It's like it's like the most poetic and kind of expressionistic parts of Tokyo Drift. I'm sorry to bring it up. <laughs> is there okay. is there a love interest? <laughs> yeah. Of course. Okay, I gotta plug okay, the one with I'm all the pink this on her. <laughs> okay, I've gotta bring one thing up. This is unrelated to fan translations. It's just something that hit me. When you're a kid, it seems, especially back in those days, it seems like game generations lasted forever. Like your entire, like I remember my my early years were dominated by the NES and then my, my preteen years were dominated by the Super Nintendo and then my teenage years were dominated by the PlayStation. And it seems like those years last forever. And I was just looking at release dates here. Final Fantasy VII in the West was released on September 7th, 1997. The PlayStation 2 was released in the West in October 26, 2000. It was released two, three years after Final Fantasy VII, mm-hmm. which is blowing my mind because that's the kind of thing I academically knew. But the idea that the PlayStation 2 came out only three years after Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VII to me is like the earliest days of the 32-bit yeah. <laughs> generation. And it clearly wasn't. It was three years. Yeah, That's yeah, freaking but- me out. Sorry, that has nothing to do with fan translation, no, but okay. I was just looking at I mean, dates and being like, oh my god, my youth. I mean, if you, <laughs> you, you can make the argument that, that generations have never lasted longer than these ones we're in right now, you know? Yeah, for sure. God bless sure. Nintendo with the Switch. I mean, like, yeah. even, I would I would put, like, PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 in just about the same generation. If I was with Xbox One and Series X, yes. they have so many shared titles, it's not even funny. Honestly, at this point, the Nintendo Switch should be, it should have, like, a Guinness Book of World Records picture beside, like, the world's oldest cat in the world world's oldest dog like it just will not go <laughs> when it got when it got released it should have had it it should have been in there for the world's oldest chipset in a newly released <laughs> consumer <laughs> electronics product pete, pete you're not wrong when you consider that oh my god this thing is long in the tooth anyway um yeah, super mario wonder looks so good though <laughs> it does look why so doesn't the pokemon well, that's I, I would imagine that's because oh. of development cycles. But um, it kills me. It actually kills me, though. Like I just wanted to vent right there and then. Hmm. Last thing I'll say <laughs> about space. Racing Lagoon: the lighting engine for the lights on the road is actually pretty great for. Yeah, PS1 it's really era. cool. Yeah. So ben. I do want to mention too the uh, the group behind um, the translation. So because that's mm. almost as important oh, yeah, 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 sure. as the game itself um, in this case. So um, the the main person behind this translation is is a person named Hilltop. So they go by online. Um, and I think that overall, there were like eight people consulted on this game. Um, some people helped with the translation. Uh, so there was one person who consulted just on the um, the cars. So getting like the parts and the technical jargon and everything correctly. Um, but Hilltop is the main person and he did the, all the programming and the editing. Um, and wow. what's interesting about him is that um, he actually has a Patreon 
and he's done a ton of translations. So he, uh, his first translation was uh, the Dr. Slump game for the PlayStation 1, and then Racing Lagoon was the second. And it took, him, took the group about uh, six months to do Racing Lagoon entirely, which is a really short turnaround for a fan translation. I mean, some of the ones that you guys yeah. have mentioned, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, took years, 10 years, you know? Yeah. Um, so for to do a translation in six months is really crazy. And they've done, um, you know, him and then people that he gets to, to help him out have done a bunch of other games. Um, one that might be interesting to uh, our listeners is Aconcagua, which is a point-and-click adventure game um, for the PlayStation 1 um, with really high production values. Um, and then right now they're working on uh, Boku no Natsuyasumi 2 uh, for the PlayStation 2. Um, which is the My Summer Vacation series. Yes! Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. wow. Is Tim Rogers going to cover that one? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> That's why I was familiar. I heard him talk about it for six hours. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he did a video on the first one for the PS1. Yeah. Um, so uh, they he has a Patreon. Um, so you can go and, you know, donate money every month. Um, so, which is nice. He, he said in the past that if he gets enough supporters on Patreon, he will stop his full-time job and then do the translations full-time. So um, what a champ. Yeah. yeah. But the other interesting thing about him is he has a YouTube channel and he puts, um, you know, background information about how he's done the translations on that channel. So Hmm. Pete, you were mentioning earlier, like how difficult it is to do like disc based games for fan translation. Well, he has multiple videos going into how he programmed and hacked the game to insert the fan translation and the kind of difficulties that come with that. Um, so uh, definitely recommend anybody who's interested in fan translation, look up his um, his YouTube channel and oh, watch yeah. his videos. I, yeah. That awesome. sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out. Can, cool. you, can you tell me the name one more time? At least yeah, Hilltop. Okay, so um, his Hilltop. YouTube channel is at Hilltop Works. If you want, at the end, we could do like a roll call of all of the stuff we talked about. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll, I'll put... I'll put together. Uh, I'll put together the show notes. I mean, I need oh, to edit the episode anyway. So whenever I edit the episode, I always go through and make sure that I have all of the. Okay, I told them I give them this. I told them I give them that. Oh, wonderful! Thank you. Yep. Okay. Um. Well, moving on from racing now, uh, we're going to a series that uh, was not in first place when it was released in the West. Let's put it that way. So nowadays, Fire Emblem is one of Nintendo's most popular franchises. Obviously, this was not always the case. Uh, Fire Emblem as a series, just didn't exist in the West at all. Uh, it was very popular in Japan, as was like, you know, its contemporaries, the Advanced the advanced War series or the War series. Yeah. I, but th- these tactical RPGs were just never released here. Uh, this one, uh, the one you're going to be talking about, Pete, is Fire Emblem Genealogy of the Holy War. And it was developed by Intelligent Systems and released on the Super Famicom in 1996. It was the fourth game. Um... And uh, it was a pretty big one, but, you know, this is not a game we got. We The first Fire Emblem game we got was on the Game Boy Advanced in 2003. Um, so, uh, Pete, why don't you tell us a little bit about the fan translation and the game itself, uh, Genealogy of the Holy War. So, I know very little about the fan translation <laughs> or the team. Uh, I know they're associated with the, uh, what's it called, Ben? Like the Dark Forest Forum or whatever? Oh, uh, Serenus Forest. Serenus Forest. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have the initial fan translation. 
uh, that was kind of big and popular was uh, called the repatriation line is there's a repatriation like a series of patches for the game by dark twilkitree net translation division yeah that's what they call themselves apparently there was a later patch that refined it uh, a little bit um, so this isn't like the the bulk of the work but that was by garneth Mm-hmm. Um, I just looked it up just now, by the way. Uh, so that's, that's the extent of my knowledge on the team that did the translation. Um, I don't have much insight on how, on how difficult it was, but this is an interesting one because this is the game that turned Fire Emblem into what we know it now. This was the first one in the series with the weapons triangle. It was the first one in the series to have um, support conversations that would lead to like stat boosts or like battlefield like bonuses. Uh, and it was the first one um, that had these support conversations lead to relationships between characters. Mm. And it's called Genealogy of the Holy War because it takes place over two generations. And so depending on on who you pair up and who gets uh, gains support with one another, the the stats on their offspring will be different. Ooh, Shades of Dragon Quest V. Sure, yeah. Or like, you know, there's, yeah. A lot of the later Fire Emblem games play with this too in hmm. very, in my opinion, less than satisfactory ways. But <laughs> Are you talking about Fates? <laughs> I believe I am. Where they're yes. like, oh, I'm coming back in time. You know, I, I'm coming from the future and I'm your daughter or whatever. Like, yep. just get out of here. I abandoned you in a dimension. <laughs> to grow up yeah yeah none of that dimension nonsense it, actually this is a really all, all these games are, are like political or whatever and you know mm-hmm. they, they have really strong stories at least basically from this one on but um there's very little supernatural in this one the, yes you know the love interest is like some supernatural dragon lady or whatever and yes like this game uses the supernatural as these rpgs tend to which is they're basically a stand-in for something like weapons of mass destruction Mm. um i'm also reading that this storyline does include massive elements of patricide and incest yeah so i have an odd feeling that even if this (laughs) i have an odd feeling that probably would have made it to the west under nintendo standards at the time something would have been edited for sure yeah i wouldn't make it to the west by nintendo standards of this time yeah it's it's a pretty violent story. It's really cool. Yeah. It, Not a whole lot of incest on the Super Nintendo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're right. Now that I think about it. Um, now I am thinking about it. <laughs> this, yeah. it, it is... <laughs> what, I, what I like about this game... First of all, it plays amazing. It's, it's very difficult. I think this is the most yeah. difficult Fire Emblem game that I've played. Um, and this what's hard. The, 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 each scenario can, it can take you sometimes two hours for like a single scenario. And yeah, the maps are huge. They're huge. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, you're, you're taking over like six castles in a map. And to me, the way that it seems like is that each campaign, each scenario is like a full campaign that takes you like a year or more to, to complete. And so there's like this huge kind of time scale that happens as well. It's really interesting. And it's got all the kind of obsessive compulsive, like, oh man, if I put this guy one square to the left, he's going to get demolished. But if I put one square to the right, he can counter and like, you know, he'll come out on top or whatever. And uh, the story is really what caught me about this one though. I mean, the fact that it's the first game with a weapons triangle and with relationships and all that is really cool, but the story is neat. The first half of it at least is really intriguing to me. I wrote about it a couple of years ago for the site 
the the protagonist unwittingly finds himself basically invading all the neighboring countries to kind of his west and northwest almost by accident he gets drawn into this thing and he becomes an ex- he becomes an extremely tragic figure who's basically trying to help his friends but in so doing causes a lot of suffering for a lot of people and gets a lot of people very very angry at him and the the time <laughs> the time uh the, the time skip that goes to the next generation happens when he finally gets assassinated i mean it's huh. a, it's a pretty high profile assassination he gets like invited back home and then uh the antagonist caused that calls like a meteor strike down on top of him or something but jesus <laughs> yeah, yeah um, pe- a lot of people make comparisons between like game of thrones or song of ice and fire in this game and there's 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 a lot of reason for that <laughs> and not just because of the incest <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's pretty amazing you know you have a good friend of yours who who's kind of a he's a a knight and and i think he's a member of the royal family uh, to a nation to the northwest of you and he eventually comes down to support you. But as he does so, he's like, what are you doing here? He's like, why are you here? What is this, all this fighting about? Like, I'm going to help you this one time, but you got to go home. And mm-hmm. you just can't. I mean, it all happens when your father takes most of the forces to go help actually this main antagonist character fight a war to the east. And so you're alone. Sigurd is the, the main character. He's he's like a noble like knight and, and mm-hmm. military leader. And he is tasked with defending you know, just kind of being left behind because they are allies with the nation to the west of them. But the nation to the west of them gets greedy and is opportunistic and tries to invade at that moment. And so as they do that, they take away one of Sigurd's old like childhood friends and he goes to try to rescue her. And that's how it all happens because he's encroaching mm. all of a sudden. You know what I mean? He's inv- he's basically sending he's having a, a military posture toward this nation that was their allies, even though they did it first. But, you know. It sounds like there's a lot of politics involved, which there's obviously some politics in SNES games, but maybe that's the reason why the Fire Emblem games were never localized up until the GBA. Maybe Nintendo and Intelligent Systems just thought the West isn't interested in politics in their video games. Wow, that's a statement that's aged well, hasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, I mean, who knows? I mean, it is definitely heavy. It's the even though you're not seeing extreme levels of violence in the game mm-hmm. there, the story is very, very violent and mm. really intense in many ways. So, yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear why it wouldn't have been translated at the time. They would have had to change everything about it. How is the fan translation? Like, is it, it does it read well? Yeah, I find that it's fine. I, there's nothing that, that stood out to me as like, Oh, Whoa, you know, or like no real big errors I could think of. Mm-hmm. All the support conversations are really nice. And as they get more and more cozy there, they can get pretty beautiful. So, I mean, that's the thing about a lot of fan translations is that you can really put the word they're fine next to it because the reality is that fans are translating it and fans, although they are a passionate bunch, they're obviously not professionals. And in some cases that does result in a, not tremendously polished product in terms of the localization. On the other hand, sometimes it results in something that is far more memorable. For example, Tales of Fantasia. Um, I wouldn't say this is, one in particular is unmemorable. I mean, the characters definitely pop. Like there's okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's a bard that you find about halfway through the first generation, and mm-hmm. he's a. Uh, it turns out he's like a prince who's just kind of hiding from his responsibilities, and he's just Sounds familiar. Is his name Edward? <laughs> <laughs> His, his, honestly, he's such a little 
I, don't I was going to say the name. one from Trails of Cold Steel, or sorry, Trails in the Sky. Does he <laughs> run away after every battle? He has, <laughs> he has no good reason for doing what he's doing except for his own comfort. He's just a little shit. Like I really, I, I like that I dislike him. He's a good character mm-hmm. because I really, really don't like that guy. Yep. Um. Well, we're actually approaching. We're at one hour right now, but we're not quite done yet because those are our picks. But the reality is, fan translations. There are a lot of fan translations out there, and some of them are very important to history uh, in terms of video game history. So we're going to talk about some of those real quick, and then we'll do a very quick lightning round at the very end because it's only at one hour. We have ah, we have plenty of time. Um, so uh, I'm just going to talk about some of the ones that I picked, and then we can talk about them briefly. So the big one, the one that started it all in terms of fan translations, is, of course, Final Fantasy V. So Final Fantasy V was developed by Squaresoft. Uh, it was released in 1992 for the Super Famicom in Japan. Uh, it was never released in the West, obviously, and there were various reasons why Squaresoft thought that it was too complicated in terms of its gameplay because of the job system. It wasn't focused enough on the story. Uh, it just didn't. They just didn't think that it, it worked for the Western audiences. There was an attempt, apparently, to release it under the name Final Fantasy Extreme, but that didn't really pan out. Oh, also, gosh. who the fuck <laughs> ever apply the word extreme to Final Fantasy V? <laughs> like it's. Its antagonist is made of wood. That's pretty extreme. It's pretty extreme. So anyway, uh, eventually it was released, of course, famously. It uh, was released on the PlayStation in its first English, official English translation, that in a really bad port. Um, but it started the whole fan translation thing because uh, in 1998, fans took it upon themselves and they created an unofficial English translation of this game. Uh, and this started the ball rolling uh, with the idea that fan translations can actually be a thing. We can take games that were never localized for Western audiences and we can translate them and then we can throw it up on the internet and people can play them. You might say that the fans were no longer the butts of the disdain <laughs> of, the, of the joke or whatever. Yes. Oh, for, for those who don't know what the hell we're talking about, I suspect this is a minority, by the way, because this is Retro Encounter. Uh, the, the main character's name in Final Fantasy V was translated as Butts, B-U-T-Z. Uh, in Excuse me, his name was, is, is Butts. Is Butts. <laughs> Um, eventually I, whether or not this is official, I think Square decided that's, we're not going to name our main character, Butts. so they, they named him Bart's in, uh, in every official version of the game, but be you cowards, cowards. They're nothing but cowards. Um, so like I said earlier, this is my first exposure to Final Fantasy V. I, I really like Final Fantasy V. It's not my favorite Final Fantasy game, but it gave me something very different. An absolute hidden gem to us, you know, over here who had to wait so long to actually play it. Oh, yeah. And I mean, coming from Final Fantasy 4 and 6, where you your characters are locked into their classes, all of a sudden, having your characters be whatever class they want, that was crazy. And um, can you imagine the amount of translation work that was involved in that? Just like the very, just it, it, a lot of work probably went into this translation at a time when no one knew what was involved in localization outside of uh outside of official companies like this they were pioneers so the fact that they not didn't just do it they completed it they released it and it started a real movement is kind of remarkable in terms of video game history yeah i think yeah. it's, it's yeah. one of the most in uh, this might be a bold statement but in my mind is one of the most important catalysts for game preservation yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think you are completely right Pete. that's actually very well yeah. said yeah 
expands yes. it to audiences they never even thought of. Who knew? <laughs> you still see a lot of like fan, um, you know, interest in the game too, and like fan community around it. There's like the four job fiesta that mm-hmm. people do every year where they yeah, play the games yeah. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And they, they, they get randomly pick like four jobs and they have to use only those jobs. Or they do like an all, all white mage run or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh. and so All geomancer. The, the, the randomizer has really <laughs> taken over. It's great. Yeah. The geomancer. Sorry. That, <laughs> so, that, that just reminded me of a prior podcast with Audra. Do you think, do you think that demon souls would have released here? If it, if not for fan translation, was it fan translated? No, no, no. But I'm saying like a game like that. I, I don't think a lot of things would have released here if not for fan translation. That, I think that a lot of games we got yeah. eventually are because of interest in them that are because of fan translation. Yeah, Pete, that's a good that's a good point because like Demon Souls actually prior to it getting officially localized by Atlas um, because Sony famously passed up on it, it actually had like a pretty big fan following in the West prior to even being localized. Where people were importing the Japanese version or the Asian version. Yeah, I think there was an Asian English language version back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah like the Korean and, and Asian region release. And so people were playing it, and that is part of why Atlas decided to pick it up. I think a lot of fan translations showed companies that, oh, hey, there's money on the table. Why aren't we taking it? It's crazy. When you localize things and sell them, we make money. <laughs> yeah, you yes. think. Well, here's the thing, though. You think always, that you would think that a company would look at a table and say, hey, there's money there. I want that money. But Nintendo still hasn't released Mother 3 yet. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about Mother 3, uh, which I would argue, aside from Final Fantasy V, is probably the most famous of fan translations. Pretty sure Clyde straight up offered the script. He said, take it if it actually means it'll be released. Well, Mother 3 is a sequel to Earthbound, of course. Uh, it was released for the Game Boy Advanced in 2006 in Japan. Uh, it's a third entry in the Mother series. It, uh, it has a crazy development cycle that started on the Super Famicom as a direct sequel to uh, Mother 2. and then it, it briefly it, stepped foot in the Nintendo 64, didn't it? That's true. It did, yeah. and then they, they <laughs> moved it to the 64DD, which clearly didn't get released. <gasps> Disk drive? Mm-hmm. It got oh canceled, and then it got reached. Actually, there's. <laughs> who are you kidding, Pete? If this thing got released on the 64DD, <laughs> we still wouldn't have got it. Yeah. <laughs> Except they would have had a good reason then. Well, I'm saying it um, would have saved the 64DD. I mean, yeah. Maybe. Um, anyway, it, it, it was canceled, and then it restarted, and it it was insane. And it was a critical commercial success in Japan, but was never released in the, outside of the country. It is. It has become a massive meme at this point in Nintendo circles with Reggie constantly being asked about Mother 3 for like the entire time he was at Nintendo. Um, And the game just was never released. It was never officially translated. However, there is a fan translation uh, led by uh, Clyde Tomato. Uh, Tomato, Tomato? Actually, that's the question. Let's call the whole thing off. I think it's tomato, Perfect. right? Isn't that how he goes? Tomato. Um, yeah. Yes. So anyway, he was the lead uh, translator, I believe, and uh, he was a professional. And he, you know, they they went at it. They spent apparently, according to my research, thousands of hours hacking the game data, translating a thousand pages of scripted dialogue. Uh, allegedly, they had some support from the highest levels of Nintendo of America. That is clearly unofficial. Um, and the theoretical freelancing cost of the translation is estimated to be at around $30,000, the amount of time and effort and money oh. that went into translating this. Um, so, yeah, this thing exists. I 
am on record as not liking Earthbound. I've never beaten it. I tried again this year. I stalled three quarters of the way through. I just don't like it. So this is there's a good chance I'm never going to play Mother 3. But that's not saying that I don't appreciate Mother 3. Yeah. Yeah. People keep talking about how much they cry playing Mother 3. I've never played it, but... Has anyone here played Mother 3? I watched a Let's Play of it. That was really good. Did you cry? Yes. Okay. Yeah, there there is some content in Mother 3 that I think is probably the reason why it's never been officially localized. Yeah, and I've heard the same. Yeah. It, it's not even really like... I wouldn't necessarily say it's it's like super objectionable content, but it's just something that is I, it incest? No, <laughs> no. I mean, it's not even. Yeah, right. It's not like even to that degree. Hey, man, so. genealogy of the Holy War is good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the the what is it? Magypsies are very loaded. Yeah, yeah. are right. very heavily the, loaded. Yes. yes. Uh, well, I kind of believe in just kind of like a you know effort and just like pull through and just kind of do it anyway. You know, as is or well you know some discretion <laughs> at some point i honestly i honestly believe that at some point nintendo will go back and they will release it and frankly speaking if they don't invite reggie back to announce it they can go to hell i don't <laughs> want it if reggie is not announced that would be beautiful if they invite him on for a nintendo direct it's like a special you know special thing from a special guest and it's reggie to finally friggin announce for it. a 10 out of 10 announcement you got to bring clyde up with him Oh, that'd be wonderful. Oh, gee, but like yeah. with the Reggie joke, you don't, you, it writes itself. You just literally have him do, one of the people do the, the, the switch snap thing. And then just Reggie just like pops into existence. He's like, what the hell? And they're like, Hey, Reggie, you're here to announce something. And he's like, I am. And he could just, he could like act like an idiot. Like he doesn't know why he's there. And then they tell him why. And he's like, I, I get to do it. It'd be very funny. It'd be amazing. And he would say, <laughs> do you need a very PR team? Title. Hire us today. <laughs> He'll say the very last title for Nintendo Switch will be. <laughs> <laughs> that would be poetic. That would sell. That would sell 10,000 more Nintendo Switches. Probably. Obviously. Easily. Minimum. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, Mother 3, Game Boy Advance. Uh, it looks like a Super Nintendo game because that's what the Game Boy Advance really is. It's a handheld Super Nintendo game. But to, to finish it off. A little gonna, bit better. It's got more A bits. little bit better. Yeah. It's got more bits, doesn't have as good sound chip. Um, let's talk about, just to finish this off, two other uh, SNES RPGs, one Squaresoft, one not. Um, because this is Retro Encounter, and it's Solosi's podcast, can we really not talk about Second Tetsu 3? Like we Absolutely no, we cannot not talk about we, Second Tetsu 3. We, we, we kind of <laughs> have to. We kind of have to at this point. So Second Tetsu 3, or Trials of Mana. Um, it was published by Squaresoft and uh, released in 1995 for the Super Famicom. It was the third installment of the Mana series. It was a sequel to 1993's Secret of Mana, or Second Ditsetsu 2. Um, it was, you know, exclusive to Japan again. It was around the, it was around the end of the SNES uh, life cycle, I guess. Secret of Mana was very well received in the West, but I guess it wasn't received well enough. It was too and late. It, it was yeah. too late. And it was a huge much. cartridge as well, so... Yeah. yeah, it was at the very end uh, of the cycle, and cartridges were so expensive. Very buggy, and mm. things didn't work properly, so that might yeah. also play a part in it. Yeah. How is a game a that fun, that unstable? It's true. It's really amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, there were a lot of reasons it wasn't released here. However, that doesn't mean that it stayed in Japan, because after the success of uh, Final Fantasy V, of course, more fan translation projects got put into action, and Second Tetsu 3 was translated in 1999. Uh, it was obviously an, uh, an unofficial patch, uh, and yeah, it just it that was the only way to play it up until uh, June of 2019, 
when it was officially localized and released as part of the Collection of Mana collection for the Nintendo Switch. When that happened, I honestly hope that someone checked on Solosi. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that, you know, I was very, very happy. Oh, yeah. I love Trials of Mana. And the, the, the kind of updated version is really nice. It's, it's a cozy. great game with great replayability. Yeah, it's so cozy. It's so beautiful. It sounds good. It plays nicely. You could play with friends. Like, it's a perfect package. Mm-hmm. It's uh, And it's a very, very good... I've actually played some of this. I haven't played the entire thing, but I've played some of it. It's a very good fan translation, too. It's probably one of the highest quality fr- fan translations that were yeah. released up to that point. I played through that version. It's really good. Was that an Aeon Genesis translation? or? Uh, according to my research, it was led by Neil Corlett. No, no. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this is obviously Trials of Mana. You, you can get it in the Collection of Mana collection, but you can also get it as a standalone remake. Uh, it's a, you know, pretty a modern looking remake. I have not played the remake. Has anyone played the remake? Would That's what I was referring to original? earlier. It's very good. Yeah, the remake's very great. Good. Interesting. Um, would you recommend it over the original uh, SNES version? Uh, uh, yeah, there are more. Or are they just different yeah, creatures. There are more class changes and stuff, and there's like kind of the story is fleshed out. I actually think the SNES version of the story is very, very, very thin. That the mm. appeal of that game is how fun it is to play, in my opinion, and the class system's awesome. Um, Man, say, the mana games don't really have a robust story. Sure, but the, there's more at least like characterization and a little more detail in the story in the remake. And like, mm-hmm. shall it? Yeah, I think it's I think it's worth playing both, especially because yeah. like, the game is so. Uh, designed around replaying, so you you could play the original with one party. And I always felt a like party for the I always felt like Second Dance History was like the Call of Duty of Square JRPGs. It's really fast. It's really really fun. It's short, and uh, so yeah. I mean, I think it's viable to the remake. Taking out the co op though, I think was a sour note for quite a few people. But I think most people got around it because it is actually a very tight experience. But yeah, it just mm. it sucks not to have co op. I didn't even realize that to be honest, and that sucks. That's a shame. Yeah. It- but what you're saying is very true. It was a very different gaming experience than I think audiences of the West expected from especially RPGs at the time. RPGs, even then, had expectations of being frigging massive games because their expectations were based on, like, especially after then, Final Fantasy VI and Chrono Trigger. So the idea that this thing would be short for a lot of people would be tricky. And then, of course, the idea of replayability of the game may not have factored in at the time for Western audiences. Or at least I expect that's what Squaresoft thought. Who knows if that would have been true or not? I think it's probably more a financial thing, just releasing this enormous cartridge mm-hmm. with all the yeah. localization oh, effort yeah. at the end of the life of the SNES. They mm. wanted to work on PS1 stuff and post-haste, I guess. I don't know. And they did. Yeah. <laughs> um, speaking of another title at the end of the Super Nintendo life cycle... Sort of. Um, and this is related to, uh, Steph, your game talking about oh, Tales of Fantasia. You. We're going to be talking about Star Ocean. So- oh, that was fine. <laughs> <laughs> There's two I want to talk about now, Dang. but yeah. Yeah, Star Ocean, the SNES one. Uh, I still stand by this. The SNES Star Ocean one does more as a SNES game than the PSP one does as a PSP game, where it's mm-hmm. basically just a Star Ocean 2 redraw and like paste, That's copy, paste true. over. Yeah, it infuriates it, me. I hate that. Like um, the mountain that you visit at the beginning, Mount Metox, is this beautiful, lush, gorgeous, pixelated place on the SNES, and it's a dry ass mountain on the PSP <laughs> with one brown color. But then there's like those herbs <sighs> at the top of it, or whatever, right? It's like it's brown, except these herbs grow here to make everyone oh. not stone. It's so sad. 
Well, Star Ocean was, it was released in July of 2016 for the Super Famicom. Again, only in Japan. What year? 95 or 6? Uh, 96, I think. I think so, yeah. Yeah, um, that that would have been a cutoff point, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, it was well released by... PlayStation's life in the yeah. West, yeah. It was released by Tri-Ace, uh, and it was... It wasn't a spin-off of Star Ocean, but it sort of was because the developers of Star Ocean, uh, the team, Wolf Team, uh, they left Namco due to a variety of creative disputes. There were apparently staff cuts. There were significant changes to Fantasia. So they went off, formed Triace, and then made a game exactly like Tales of Fantasia. It looks like, like Tales of Fantasia. They showed them. Yeah, they really did. Um, they, it looks like Tales of Fantasia. It plays a lot like Tales of Fantasia. It doesn't have any time travel, but it has space travel. Um, and I mean, that's the it, other it, dimension. It, yeah. It shares that's a so lot cool. of, it shares a lot of DNA with Tales of Fantasia for obviously also it has voice acting again, which is crazy yeah. for the Super English Nintendo. voice acting. Yep. And, uh, it was never officially released outside of Japan. Fan translation enter, uh, fans took it over. The fan translation patch was released in 2003, uh, and again, it was much like Tales of Fantasia, a massive effort because it didn't only require in translating the text. It was also, it, it, there was a lot that went into this game. I played this fan translation for the Super Nintendo. I loved it. I thought Star Ocean was awesome and not just because I was a Star Trek fan. The crazy yeah. thing about this translation is that they took that voice acting and re-recorded it in Japanese. It's so wild. Oh, I didn't even know that. I'm That's jo- crazy. No, I'm, I'm, I'm joking. Sorry. That oh, was bad. Well, you can then. cut that. Oh that was a bad joke. I'm so sorry. <laughs> God. <laughs> so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm too gullible for that. That is funny. <laughs> I was like, wow. I hate you now. Feel um, free to cut that. I I, I did well, not expect it to go down like that. Pete, it went down way better than Thor Kangaroo. <laughs> no way. So. <laughs> Thor Kangaroo. I like, the, I like the kangaroo, man. I like the Um... <laughs> It, it's a very good, it's a solid friggin' fan translation. It doesn't include the, shall we say, the spiciness of Tales of Fantasia, but it's pretty damn good. It's, it, it does the job. It has a lot of character to it. Um, and it, it, it displayed interest in a game that was unreleased in the West and is probably one of the main reasons why we still get Star Ocean games for the we better or Star for Ocean, the worse. Star Ocean, the second story. Where Which was is... the first story? <laughs> we don't yes, know. Yes, and I mean, obviously, it's still coming out, and lots of things are. Star Ocean is still a very popular series, despite a lot of disappointments in recent years. But that's 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 beside the point. Everyone, this game is not a go buy Star Ocean Two R for the love of God yes. and everybody and oh, anything Steph. out there that you love: <laughs> cookies, spaghetti, puppies, probably anything. <laughs> <laughs> Just go play it. We deserve more sci-fi fantasy stuff. It's really cool. Space is yeah. better than old. Let yes. It be said. Yeah. I stand by that. I like my sci-fi RPGs a little better than the fantasy ones these days. Now, the nice thing about Star Ocean is that it has both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Win-win. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For my Original money, Star Ocean way better than Tails. Way better. Wow. <laughs> That's interesting. Okay. That's a loaded one, but I agree I with I respect the respects. opinion a lot. That's yeah. A heavy it boils respect down to that. taste. I mean, it's the same game. It's not the same game, but it looks and plays like the same there's game. There's so many it's... more Tales games, and there's like a lot of bad Star Ocean games when there's only six or seven See, of them. John, yeah, I they... got two words for you, though. Item what? creation. Okay, oh, I know. The best. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> That's oh, God. And like three just got mean with it, and I loved it. I loved it so much. So... We have to continue now because there are so many, there are so, 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 so many other games that we could talk about. I just want to list some of the 
the other fan translations that are available out there. And then I, w- I open the floor to allow you to mention some of your favorites. So, uh, uh, oh God, I can still not pronounce this game and it has an official stupid translation <laughs> at this point. Is it Live Alive? Oh yeah, who knows? <laughs> live Alive. Oh, I, I'm not Yes, sure. it's Live Alive. It's Is Live it? Alive. It has to be Live Alive. So yeah, Live Alive for the Super Nintendo or the Super Famicom was never released here. Got a fan translation. Great game. I played it. So now has an official uh, official remake and please play it because it's pre- it looks pretty very, damn awesome. Very pretty, yeah. pretty game. Yep. Uh, Bahamut's Lagoon. Give me some of that. I love Bahamut's Lagoon so much. Yep, it's a turn-based strategy JRPG from SquareSoft. It looks like it looks like Final Fantasy VI. If all of the Final Fantasy VI characters lost a lot of weight, everyone is very skinny in this game. The main guy's named Boo. There's a Y in there. And uh, <laughs> and also <laughs> you can uh, break uh, bridges and you can light forests on fire. This game is yes. amazing, amazing. You can f- you there's like places where you can break stuff? dams and flood areas. Oh my gosh. Great, it's great so tactics pretty RPG. Too. Yes, it is. Oh my goodness. Battle take too we long, also, but just press fast forward on the uh, totally legitimate and legal way that you're playing these backups. I will guarantee that within the next four or five years, this game will be released in a full English translation because Squaresoft is starting to run out of old games that they've never released. That they're doing HD 2D stuff with all of it, I'm all for it. That would be bring it just awesome. I didn't, even, I didn't even consider that. I, didn't, I would not allow myself. Anyway, keep going. Speaking of final Squaresoft RPGs, Treasure of the Rudras, which was the last Squaresoft JRPG for the Super Nintendo, which was never released here, had a very interesting magic creation system. They where you to could, translate that. I don't even know what wizardry they did for that. I know. The fan translation, There was a, you basically combined characters together to create new spells. And somehow they did it in the the fans did it in English, which yeah. is nuts. Awesome. They actually give you keywords like Leafa, which is like a restorative spell, right? Like you can see it, right? Mm-hmm. That's so uh, cool. But that game is really, really cool. Like nobody talks about it because obviously we did get it here. But like um, when I sat down with that and I played it for like, I don't know, maybe four days or something like that and just sat with it. My jaw was just kind of hanging low. Some it's a pretty looking game. Beautiful sprite work, boss sprite work, especially I've ever seen. It's so cool looking. Uh-huh. Um, there's three scenarios plus fourth bonus once so you get your live alive or your, you know, split perspective scenario kind of thing. And it's about like the last like 13 days before the end of the world. And you're, you know, like three different parties are kind of going about their own way to solve the bigger problem mm-hmm. and stop the end of the world. Like, how cool is that? <laughs> Uh, we also have, continuing on SNES RPGs that are not Square, but are Enix, uh, we have Dragon Quest V and Dragon Quest VI, um, which neither one got an English release initially until the DS remakes, uh, and both of them got fan translations, and both of them are pretty damn good fan translations. That's how I first played yeah. Final Fantasy, or that's how I first played Dragon Quest V and VI. Yep. Um, here's an interesting one for those of you visual novel fans out there. Have you ever played Snatcher for Sega CD? Well, it got a spiritual successor called Police Knots for the Saturn, and it was never released here in the West, but there is a fan translation of it. Honestly, going into the VN rabbit hole would be its own episode. There are a lot of fan <laughs> oh, yeah. translations for that. Yeah, it's on the PS1 also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, does anyone have any uh, honorable mentions they want to toss in? I have a... I have maybe the most infamous fan translation graveyard that I know of. So I don't, if you'll allow me, this game was not successfully translated yet. Um, I hear that there is in a translation going uh, right now, going on right now. Currently it is the dreamcast opus. Say Gaga, which uh, you guys heard of yeah. say Gaga. 
Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, I I was trying to play it with my Google Lens just last night. Uh, I'd heard a thing about it. It's absolutely <laughs> nuts. Um, you uh, have, let's see. Let me try to blaze through this. You go to work at Sega as Sega and the game industry are dying. This was has explained to you, and you go into these enormous security <laughs> shutters where the development teams have been for twenty years stranded inside of these like prisons inside of Sega. And they are, you're told that they're no longer human. They've lost all humanity because of crunch. And you have to go in and recruit people in there. And you do so through RPG battles in which you insult each other until you persuade them to join your dev team. And then you have to negotiate their contract afterwards. And you have 10 oh seconds to negotiate their contract. And they're so text heavy that, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to play it and I don't have enough time for my Google Lens to translate what it's seen. And so I'm giving away like company cars and like way too much. <laughs> salary and i'm just getting these people on my dev team probably blowing all my budget on them and um it is a a crazy commentary and a a weirdly honest look on like the travails of sega as they were beginning to cease to be sega as we knew it back then and it speaks really openly in a strange way about like crunch and the culture of game development at the time where people they're like at first they were sleeping under their desks and then they just kind of stayed there and now they're just like zombies making games and they deposit the game through the security door and we just give them food (laughs) oh my god and all the while, it's like a, it's like a cute anime uh, looking thing. It's 3D environments with 2D sprites. And your character, when you push the run button to kind of run, quote unquote, he doesn't run. He just does like a, a hurried walk. And they say, do that when you don't want to talk to anybody. And it's a way to avoid random encounters. So he's like hurriedly <laughs> walking past everyone as he's like <laughs> not making eye contact oh or whatever. It's so cute mm-hmm. and hilarious, but also yeah, tragic. Alex Kidd is Alex Kidd's in the game. Uh, he got demoted to working the retail shop. Yep. For oh no, poor Alex. <laughs> Alex Kidd. I mean, I, I the first boss I encountered was literally you, Suzuki. <laughs> Alex Kidd is the Oswald, the Lucky Rabbit to Sonic's Mickey. Yes. Yeah, so hopefully, look, I can see why this game took so long. I can see why so many fan translation projects have just broken against its rocky shores. But Mm -hmm. um, it would be really neat. I think it could actually be a pretty important one because it's, you know, with all the talk we have about game development culture these days, and I think at least, you know, in a lot of places in the world, it's getting better. Um, But uh, I think it it, it would be really, really poignant if we could see what this thing's about. Mm Mm-hmm. Does anyone else have a honorable mention? Yeah. So um, I want to mention Berwick Saga for the PlayStation 2. Um, mm-hmm. It has a longer name than that, but I'm not going <laughs> to go into that. <laughs> but Berwick Saga, if you look that up, you'll find it. Um, so this was the last um, game uh, officially released by uh, Shozo Kaga, who is the creator of the Fire Emblem series. Um, and this came out after um, he had left um, Intelligent Systems and created uh, a game called Tearing Saga for the PlayStation 1, which is basically a Fire Emblem game in all but name, and then got sued by Nintendo, and they had a huge legal battle over that. So, Nintendo, get off it. I like yeah. that I looked it up, and I, the first two links is for the Fire Emblem wiki and Serenus Forest. Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, and I think the fan translation for both Tearing Saga and Berwick Saga were organized on Serenus Forest. Um, but Berwick Saga is really interesting because it's kind of uh, Kaga's magnum opus. So it's a, a turn-based um, strategy RPG, just like the Fire Emblem games. But this takes place on a, actually like a hex grid, and Ooh, the maps are really, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the maps are really big, kind of like uh, Genealogy of the Holy War, and they have multiple objectives on each map, and you have like a um, like a hub city that you're in, and you can take different missions and then go out and um, on those missions for different battles. There's a lot of different um, like characters you can recruit and optional kind of paths to go down and everything in the story. Um, it's a super intricate, interesting game. And anybody who's a Fire Emblem fan should definitely check it out. Ben, maybe you can send me like a, a link of like the translation site so that I can legitimately acquire a copy yes. of the game and play I, a legitimate legal backup of it. Yes, I will send you a link. I'm very intrigued. <laughs> um, well, speaking about that, uh, just before we go, I just want to to say a couple of words about oh god this sounds like the end of like a 1980s we've had a lot of fun tonight but seriously um we've had a lot of seriously emulation is theft smoking is bad um, <laughs> uh, we've been we've been talking a lot and joking around about emulation and roms and things like that and it's a very thorny thing to get into in terms of the legality of it and the morality of it However, I don't think that you can have this conversation about video game uh, fan translations without getting a little bit into emulation, as we've been talking about. Emulation, undoubtedly, regardless of which side you're on, has been the most valuable tool for game preservation in history. If it wasn't for emulation, yeah, Mm -hmm. if it wasn't for emulation, so much, so much of video game history would have been lost uh, in the West, in the East. It doesn't matter. Uh, And in terms of fan translations, there would be no way for us to have played many of these games if not for emulation. And frankly, if emulation hadn't existed, if Final Fantasy V had not been available in that fan-translated form, I don't know if we would have gotten it for the PlayStation. I don't know what video game history, and especially RPG history, would look like without emulation today. And especially, and I think part of the reason why it's so important is because of fan translations and much of the much in the same way that fan translations are are so amazing run by passionate people you know these all the legitimate emulators that you should be using are open source they're fan driven and they're incredible technical achievements and now there's like fpga stuff coming out there's all kinds of advancement going on there. The, like HD mode seven is like so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks less crunchy on your screen and actually turns pixels around without looking stupid. <laughs> it's so good. They just released the Metal Gear the Metal Gear Solid quote unquote master collection, and you can get that you can get Metal Gear Solid one running way better, with more frames, looking better, playing better through emulation yeah there's a lot to say about it in terms of video game preservation in terms of it's in many cases the best way to play these games is through emulation i think it's exciting that the uh what is it the recent trails of people have been basically hired up to you know help out with a lot of these big falcon projects mm-hmm. could you i mean there, could you imagine I, I could not i love fire emblem genealogy of the holy war if i did not have access to fast forward I would yeah. not last an hour. And save states. <laughs> and, sa- and save states. Oh my gosh. I look, yeah. I'm a busy person. I do yeah. not have time to not have save states. I don't care. <laughs> like I'm using those save states. You see that in, in current modern day consoles, how they've adapted many of the uh, emulation uh, features for their actual consoles. You got but rewind and stuff. It's so exactly. Cool. Yeah. It's very, very cool. Um, but it just in terms of this conversation, fan translations wouldn't exist if not for emulation. I just think we need to acknowledge that. There, yeah. it's, yes. it's a thorny topic, but necessary to acknowledge the importance of it for this topic. Um, 
Okay, let's work. This episode's running a bit long, but there was a lot to talk about. Uh, so let's move on to housekeeping right now. So if you are looking for a way to support us here at RPG Fan, we've opened a store. You can find it at www.rpgfan.com shop. I happen to know that we have some additional 25th anniversary merchandise coming out very soon. So keep an eye out for that. Um, if you want to support us here at Retro Encounter, I highly suggest you check out some of our past episodes, including uh, the most recent ones. A few weeks ago, we had our Halloween episode where the panel chatted about uh, their favorite character costumes and outfits. Uh, the last episode, I believe these things are recorded in advance. So I have to, I think the last episode was a favorite side character who could absolutely support their own game, which is a really cool topic. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, coming up next week, we have the first part of our Bloodborne episode. So any Souls fan out there, we're doing a Bloodborne episode and we have uh, Dragon Age Origins coming up in a few months. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, we also have Random Encounter, which is another one of our podcasts, which happens to be the one that I host bi-weekly. Uh, I can't really tell you what's going on on it because it's basically whatever is happening at the time. It's whatever reviews go up on the site, our features, if there's news. It's our it's our current podcast. Uh, but if you did want to check out an episode, I highly recommend you check out the Game of the Year Bracket Battle episode that was a few weeks ago. Uh, we still have that feature running on the site, I think think it will still be running by the time this episode is posted uh but i don't host it zach's hosting that episode did a really really great job panel sounds fantastic in it audrey you're on that episode i know yeah and we also have rhythm encounter which is rpg fans music podcast our last episode i believe based on the schedule is going to be focused on game defining songs which is a really cool topic uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us here at Retro Encounter, you can fire us off a message at retro at rpgfan.com. Uh, if you have any ideas for future episodes, maybe some, you know, any kind of feedback like that, please tell us, or more accurately, tell Solosi, because I don't get that email. That's his, not mine. Um, if you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at jlogan at rpgfan.com, or you can find me on Mastodon at Logan at mastodon.social. I'm not the only person on this podcast with a social presence on the internet. Audra, where can we find you online? Ajabi at rpgfan.com. Cool. And Ben? Uh, BenLoganLove at gmail.com. I love that middle name. And Pete? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Probably find me uh, on YouTube at Regulation Gaming. I don't really, yeah. Or Instagram, Regulation Gaming, if you want to never see me post anything. <laughs> and Steph? Uh, you could find, quite the opposite. You can find me everywhere at Dice SMS. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or you can also find her at all of our social media. Yeah, that's right. I'm, all, I'm the social media. So if you found out through this by socials, you found out through me or mm-hmm. our team. Sorry. Yes, we have quite a social media team. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends to help us get the word out there. You can rate us on iTunes, your other podcast player of choice. Leave us a review. We would love to read them. Let us know if you try any of these, any of these games that we talked oh, about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, leave a, leave <laughs> yeah. a comment in your uh, podcast addict uh, <laughs> app, please. What what translations are you playing now? I very irregularly host Retro Encounter, and whenever Slosi gives me an opportunity to do it for uh, a weird topic that I want to talk about, like whether it be this or the Star Trek episode, and I get to do something stupid like I did off the top of this episode, I always appreciate it. So uh, thank you for joining me on this slightly experimental episode of Retro Encounter. It was such a pleasure. It was a deep, so fun. deep. It was privilege. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Super great. Maybe at some point in the future, we'll take a look, I don't know, at uh, favorite fan hacks of RPGs. That would be an interesting topic. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yes, I know. I know, Ben. Um, Anyway, (laughs) I also want to thank everyone out there for joining us tonight. And uh, as Solosi says at the end of every episode, good night and good luck. Good luck.